Today we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're just kind of going to go right, uh, uh, you know, where the water meets the wheel. And we're going to talk about weariness versus righteousness. Weariness versus righteousness. And I want you to pay very close attention today because I think that I'll be dealing with a subject today that is very relevant to maybe the majority of people that will hear this message. We're living in a day where people are very, very confused. As we sing about the cross, and some of you are here because of the beautiful 170-foot cross out here on the freeway that a million people a week get to look at. But what we want you to know is you come in and you go out the door. Don't miss the better part. Because just outside the glass in this building, there's the beautiful garden tomb where... Jesus that died on the cross on Friday rose from the grave on Sunday morning. And he's alive to go with you when you leave here today if you'll invite him. He'll let you take him home with you. He'll be your constant listener to every conversation, the unseen guest at all time in your presence. And he will watch over you, love you, forgive you, guide you, strengthen you. He has so many things planned. But it's very important for us to realize that we're not celebrating an event that took place 2,000 years ago as our main celebration. Our main celebration is he's alive, he's alive, he has arisen as he said. Sin has been paid for. You can come and have the appropriation of Jesus' blood. Come and, and pay for your sin if you will just let him. If you will step out of the majority and realize that as long as you're in the majority, you are never following the Lord. He is very clear in saying, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. But few there are that find it. And I want you to be one of those few. I hope you understand the high cost of low living. I hope you understand that God has a plan for you. And if you're one of those that spent your life admiring other people because of their walk with God, you need to get on the other side where people will see Jesus in you. And we're going to look at that. It's very clear in the Scripture. And I'll take you, first of all, to the book of Matthew, chapter 11. I want you to listen to these simple words of Jesus. You know, one of the things before I read it that makes me uh, really uh, do a lot of thinking and a lot of praise to the Lord that the most important, relevant scriptures of the Bible are so clear that a child can understand them. It is so plain. That's the way Jesus was. He said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He didn't try to be an intellectual. He was all truth. He had all wisdom. But he communicated in a way where people could understand what he said. Now listen to this simple passage in the book of Matthew chapter 11. This is called the great invitation. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Does that sound like you need that? I do. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you, you, shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Now I want you to go over to the book of Romans. Romans is a book written by a man named Paul, one of the most brilliant people that ever lived. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, put this very gifted man to his knees and blinded him in order that he would stop and take inventory of his life and be totally changed. And when Paul was changed, God used him to write much of the New Testament. Listen to what he wrote to the Romans. For I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, listen to these words, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without an excuse. Because that which they knew God, listen, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to a corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now listen to the warning. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creatures more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen and amen. How clear. If you go to Webster and look up the word weary, if you want to know if you are, the first thing it says is that you are exhausted in strength. Your endurance is not there. The vigor, the vitality has gone. You're tired. You're wore out. You just kind of live and exist. But then there's a definition of righteousness. And that's acting in accord with divine and moral law. And being free from the guilt of sin. Morally right. Think. Where do you fit in? Now be honest, okay? Nobody's hearing what you think. And you know yourself better than anybody else. How are you doing today? Is anybody, don't raise your hand, rhetorical question. Is anybody here depressed? Am I talking to anybody today, if not here on television? And you're just depressed. You're weary. You're lonely. You're frustrated. You're confused. You really don't know who you are, what you're doing, and where you're going. 
Now, God never intended that. Something happened along the way or something hasn't happened along the way. If you fit into those categories and you are totally wore out. Well, you can be weary or you can be righteous. Our generation has been described as we hurry, we worry, and we bury we hurry, worry, and then bury. And that's the epitaph that we put on our tombstone. Here lies one that hurried, worried, and is now buried. They were miserable, and a lot of people around them were miserable because they never found what life was all about. If you had a private conversation with a professional would you say, I am stressed out? I can't stand thinking about Monday morning. Back on that freeway, back in that office, back with those people, doing those things. I have to watch the news on Monday again, and I have to hear how all the wheels are coming off. I mean, I am stressed out. And you're sitting in a comfortable auditorium, relaxed, and you're stressed out. It seems like there's irony to that. I mean, God must have a sense of humor. Well, maybe you're not stressed. Maybe you're just tarred. <laughs> Say, I'm just wore out. I'm just tired. Tired of what? Oh, I don't know. I'm just tired. All I know is I'm unhappy. I'm confused. I'm messed up. I'm everything that you've been talking about so far, preacher. That's my condition. I am struggling with knowing why I'm here, what I'm doing, and where I'm going. You see, we all have to deal with this. Now, if someone has not told you this, may I tell you? Christianity is more than just going to heaven. Christianity is more than just having your sins forgiven and your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when you die, go into heaven. When one becomes a believer, their life changes instantaneously. You say, well, I've been baptized and I've joined the church and mine never changed. Well, you need to pay attention to the rest of the message. Because the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. And if you're still struggling with the same stuff you were struggling with 20 years ago, and you say, but along that time, I got baptized, I joined the church, we need to talk. Because you see, if you're a born-again Christian, what that means is that Jesus Christ lives in your life. And where he is, there's peace that passes all understanding. There is power in the midst of a battlefield. There is a calm in the midst of the storm. There is a change in the life. It is not just simply moving your membership and joining another organization. There is a born-again experience. And that is what all that we do is about. Whether we carry the gospel across the street or across the world, our purpose is that new life, the life of Jesus, would come to live in the hearts of people that are struggling in a world that the majority of the people are in sin, 
and will die in their sin and they will pay for their sin in this life and they will pay for their sin in the life to come. But we have been called out from that group not because of works we have done but by His stripes we have been healed. Now why don't we act like it? Why are we a part of all this depressed fussing, fuming, arguing, cussing, drinking, running around bunch? Why? Because we found a better way. That Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. I've yet to meet one born-again Christian that ever said, I'd sure like to go back. Well, let me just give you some things that you have to deal with. First of all, you have to deal with the demands of service. You say, I'm wore out. Are you wore out telling people about the Lord? Are you wore out trying to comfort people that are hurting? Are you wore out trying to help people that went through Harvey? Are you wore out because of doing good? Or are you wore out because you have not been doing good? That you've been chasing after goals that you'll never reach and dreams that will never be fulfilled because they just pop. And when you get what you want, now you don't want what you got. And that makes you even more stressful and more stressed out. Maybe you're a mother, dad, student, employee, business person, professional person, athlete, law enforcement, politics, you name the subject, engineers, scientists, medicine. In the midst of all of that world, there is a God that wants to live in your life. Now, can I let you in on a little secret before you get too depressed? Jesus dealt with everything we are dealing with. One place the Bible says Jesus wept. Okay? It's okay to weep and cry and groan if you know how to take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Jesus oftentimes cried out to the Father because he was down here in this sin-sick world dealing with sin-filled people. And in that battle, oftentimes, calling upon the Father, ultimately when he went back, bringing in the Holy Spirit to take over because the problem is so many, there has to be one that when Jesus was here, he could be in Jerusalem. When he was there, he could not be in another town. He had to be right there. But the Holy Spirit can be not only in Houston, New York, California, or wherever, but the Holy Spirit is around the world. Wherever we are, wherever our signal goes out, which is to all over the world, there's a Holy Spirit there waiting to change people's lives. That's what we have because of Him. Because of Him. Jesus knew. Do you remember where He touched the woman and the Scripture says He found virtue leaving Him? You, you see... When he wept and when he went through this, he doesn't look at us and, and condemn us for saying, I'm tired, I'm wore out. I don't think I can get up this morning. I don't think I can make it. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. Don't think that he doesn't know what that's like. All the way to the cross, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's where we have to go. That's where we have to go. In our weakness, he's made strong. If we cannot handle it, he will 
handle it for us. If we fall down, he'll pick us up and carry us. He got tired one day. He got into a boat, went out and went to sleep. Went out in a storm and went to sleep. I don't know if you know anything about boats. I don't know if you've ever been in a big storm little boat. But I'm telling you, it's not the perfect Motel 10. You know? How could Jesus do that? Because he was God. Remember Samson? God in sin, didn't he? A man that God had a plan for. And remember he killed lions with his bare hands. Scripture tells us he destroyed 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. The Bible says he tore the city gates off of their hinges. That's a man's man. That'll make 6 o'clock news. Okay? But what happened? Delilah. One affair. And he lost his strength. And it was only till God came back into the picture that it was regained. And that's the same thing with you. If you today are walking in darkness and weakness and disappointment and discouragement and frustration, the only way back to the Father is come back to the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to be in anybody's bloodline. You don't have to be up here in the social world or the economic world. You can be just who you are. And God wants to change your life. I talked to uh, Mike Schumacher last night. I was doing a little final touch-up on the message. I called Mike Schumacher. He's the head of our counseling center next door. I wanted to say this, but I wanted to confirm before I said it that I didn't make a fool of myself and not tell you the truth. But here's what I asked Mike. I said, Mike from the counseling center and I do not know who goes to the counseling center I do not do that unless I'm told by the person going but I asked him this question I said Mike those that come to the counseling center would you say that that the majority of those that come are Christians that do not profess to be faithful in their serving the Lord attending church, giving, being involved in everything, but they're church members rather than those that do serve the Lord, use their spiritual gift, share the resources God gives them to reach a lost world. And he, and he affirmed, yes, that's definitely true. Let me tell you, there's not anybody more miserable in the world than a person that thinks they're a Christian or even if they are a Christian that chooses to try to keep living in this world. And putting their priorities in the things that I'd rather be at what the world is doing as to what God's doing on Sunday. I had rather participate in what the world is participating in rather than what God's people are doing. I don't have time to go on a mission trip. I don't have time to prepare a Sunday school lesson, as we used to call it Sunday school, the I Connect ministry. I don't have time for all that because I'm busy, busy, busy. I am a mover and a shaker, and all my friends know it. I just love to party, 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 party. Let me tell you something. It won't work. It won't work. 
The only way Christians can stay happy is to be obedient to the Lord. Using your spiritual gift, using your finances, using those things God has given to you. And when you do that, all of a sudden, free at last, free at last. Thank God I'm free at last. God, thank you that there's ways to be set free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Don't you like to read those stories of the Bible where God's kids lose it for a while? And then the loving Heavenly Father comes and brings them back. And we see the end of the story. Those are always special, special things. But Satan has his way of attacking us. And so that's the reason I think that that the Scripture says, Come unto me. Come unto me. Get around me. Get around me. But Satan is after me. Well, come stand by me. And you know what? When the devil sees God, he runs. But he doesn't run for any one of us standing alone. None. You know, when Jesus spoke those words, he was addressing a lot of real busy people. But when you get so busy, hear me, when you cannot be aware of the presence of God in your life, you're too busy. You need to start focusing on who's in you rather than who's around you. And get a hold of what God has planned for the rest of your life. See, God calls us to do things. And then he equips us to do those things. And when you're called and equipped, then you're successful in doing those things. And that brings a joy back into you where you feel like, I guess I was important to somebody. Every time we baptize, those of you that have had a part in one of those baptisms, you just got chills running up down your spine I mean you're so happy I mean you just think wow 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 let's do that again I'm going to see that one more time why because I had a little part in it I met him in the connection center I met him in the hallway that's my neighbor that's my schoolmate that's my fishing buddy that's my hunting buddy I'll go on with the story but that's what it's all about we need to be busy doing what God calls and equips us to do and when we do that we don't wear out it's trying to be who we're not that causes great troubles. I love the outdoors, always have. And they've had some of the greatest impact on my life because through the outdoors from the time I was five years old, I had an opportunity to sit in campfires of sportsmen in the state of Texas, mostly at that time, that became some of the most prominent people of my generation. I saw them relaxing. I didn't see them giving their board report, interviewed on radio or television, but I saw them relaxed in the presence of other godly men that when they got together, iron sharpens iron. Listen, those men loved God, and they loved each other, and they got together, and they didn't talk about business. They talked about the spiritual things that were going on in their life. That's what it's like to love God. That God is more important than money. God is more important than anything because he's the answer to all the problems that any of us face. And when you get away from God, number one, you don't hear his voice anymore and you start ignoring it when you do hear it. You no longer see his example, so you don't know what to do. You don't have any example to look to. 
you no longer feel the comfort of his presence. And that causes great discomfort. You remember Simon Peter? I like that guy. A lot of us can identify with him. But I like what he did. Check it out. You know what Simon Peter did every time he messed up? And goodness, he messed up. I mean, he could have had 10,000 angels just watching him. But you know what he'd always do? Every time he got in trouble, he'd run to Jesus. One time he got on the water. When he took his eyes off of Jesus, all of a sudden, instead of going horizontal, he went vertical. You might learn something from that. Because when you quit looking to Jesus, he's the author and the finish of your faith. And if you look up here or you look down here, watch out. If you're looking up there, maybe the Lord will take you. If you're looking down, you may drown. But just keep following him. That's what we're to do. Isaiah 40, 31 says, They that wait on the Lord shall do what? Renew their strength. The psalmist said in, in chapter 62, verse 1, Truly my soul waits upon God. From him comes my salvation. Too many of us are making the major decisions of our life without going to God before we make them. Think about it. That purchase, that job, that relationship. Have you prayed about it? Have you thought about it? Have you really made the decision to say the church is wrong and I don't want anything to do with it and I'm going to go here? Have you thought about that? What are the ramifications of that? If not, you certainly need to. Proverbs 27 and 18 says, He that waits on his master shall be honored. You know what the secret of great strength and great energy is? To be aware of the presence of God in your life. It'll solve any problem you come up with. Be aware of the presence of God in your life. Before they take you from the bed to the operating room, pause and be aware. Be aware that he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. When that surgeon says to the family, you wait over here. We have to go to the operating room. All the way to that operating room, if you're still awake, you need to say, Lord, I'm so glad you're with me. You're my physician. You're going to diagnose this case. You're going to decide the treatment. You're going to put your hand on that surgeon's hand, and I'm going to be still and know that you are God. And when that comes in your life, you have moved from down here where mediocrity is into the gates of heaven. You're not there yet. We're still in the nasty now and now. But we know in whom we have believed. And we are persuaded that he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him. Whatever problem you got, if that stock market jumping up and down has got you popping pills... Just flush them down the toilet and get on your knees and say, God, you own it all. 
And if you want me to manage any of it, here I am. If not, I'll just thank you that somebody else has it, and I'm not going to worry about it one second. Well, I've got to close. But let me just give you the final instructions, and these are from Jesus. In chapter 11, verse 29, he says, number one, take my yoke. Can I tell you what that means real quickly? It means we're in this thing together. That's what he says. Join me to be your partner. Well, I'm looking for a partner to invest in my business so that I can get him as your partner. Be yoked together. Now, don't be unequally yoked, the Bible says. Be yoked together. That's what you need. And then he says, number two, learn of me. In that 29th verse of Matthew 11, learn of me. Get to know me better. Get to know how I operate. Know how Jesus handled the real things. Several years ago, we did something special here at Sagemont. You know, WWJD, what does that mean, WWJD? What would Jesus do? Remember? We made us a bunch of hats. I was going to bring you one, but I knew I wouldn't have time to show it to you. I got it off of Chuck's desk, and I got to go get it back before he gets in there. But anyway, it's a white hat with blue letters, and it's WDJD. WD, what does that mean? What would Jesus do? You know, you know what Jesus would do? What did D Jesus do? You find out the way Jesus lived, and you live just like it, and you got it made. You got it made. What did he do? And then he said, in that same verse, he said, take my yoke, learn of me, I am meek. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. All power is given to him. But you don't go out and blast everybody. But you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You be still and know that he is God. And then he says, I am lowly in heart. You know what Jesus did? He chose to serve. Not my will but thine be done. He chose to give his life rather than take he gave. He gave his life that we could have new life. He did not say, I'm an heir. All that belongs to God is mine. I have it all. But no, that's not what he did. He said, I am lowly in heart. I don't want to be served. I want to serve. People that serve don't write the letters about how everybody's doing it wrong. And how they're mistreating me. And they did this and they did that and so forth and so on. You know what? When you're serving, you don't have time for that kind of stuff. You just simply move with God. You just live for God. You just use your life, your business, your, your personality, your position where you live. Use all of that for the glory of God. And God wants to give us strength in order to serve him. That's our goal. That's our goal. And in our weakness, he'll be made strong. My final question. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. My question is this. 
Do you want to live your life where people want to be like you? Or had you rather live your life that people want to be like him? I think I know the answer to that. I don't think there's one of us here that's so arrogant to say, I just hope that you'll just be like me and enjoy life like I did. Uh Uh-uh. No, be like him. Be like him.